the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Law Offices of Selwyn Whitehead is a debt relief agency under federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking debt relief under the United States Bankruptcy Code. This is Selwyn's Law. Every week at this time, we get to hear from Selwyn Whitehead. She's not just an attorney at law. Selwyn knows her stuff and doesn't shy away from the truth, even when it's ugly. Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law. Good day, and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law here on KVAX. My name is Selwyn Whitehead. I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney, and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been certified as a specialist by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. So in addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. One is a master of the laws of taxation law and the other as a master of the laws of intellectual property laws. And as I shared with you, intellectual property deals with intangibles that are owned by individuals or corporations that can actually bring income to that individual or that corporation. For example, if you are an, an actor, uh, you basically lend your image to the production company and they compensate you for that. If you're a sports figure, you uh, might want to lend your name and be spokesperson for a shoe manufacturer. Um, and so you, if you're an author such as I am, you write things, uh, you have the intangible right, a copyright to the things that you write. Uh, also, I'm speaking on this radio station, and once my words come out and they're, um, they become an entity that's uh, cemented in some kind of technology, some t- type of media, there's copyright protection for that, copyright protection for patents, Um, One of the things that I really found interesting when I was uh, studying patents was the fact that indigenous people uh, around the Amazon, do they own the patent to some of those flowers that create the pharmaceuticals that many of us take in order to heal ourselves? So it's it's more than just a notion. Uh, In bankruptcy, there's uh, been a big case on on a trademark. um, when there's something called um, basically rejecting uh, executory contracts in bankruptcy, and does that mean that if a person who gives uh, a right to use a trademark to a third party does um, filing for bankruptcy of the le- uh, the person giving the right give it the right to cancel the contract, and what does that mean? So intellectual property law is uh, very fascinating. It has a lot to do with technology and science, and that's why I find it so fascinating. 
So both of my master's degrees were obtained from my favorite alma mater, Golden Gate University School of Law, that's located in the Bay Area in beautiful downtown San Francisco. And because of my training, my experience, my interests, and such, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. Also do help people with manage their debt and their wealth, uh, estates and trusts. I do real estate law. And, of course, I do taxation law. And I'm proud to say that sometimes in the course of my other endeavors, I'm able to seek out and vindicate the rights of seniors who find themselves victims of the various forms of financial elder abuse that's running rampant today. And therefore, I, I have to tell you that I'm so pleased to be able to come to you again from the beautiful KFAX studios, also in the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area, to discuss some of the financial and legal issues confronting confronting families and small business owners today. However, as always, I must once again have you please note that this show does not provide legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances. And hopefully this show can provide you with an outline of some of the issues that you may need to help you sort through all the various do's and don'ts and what's and wherefores in order to help you seek out and find qualified professional help for your legal and or financial issue. And I do this because, as I'm known for saying, many People, for some reason, think that they can represent themselves in legal matters, and it has nothing to do with your intellect or your drive or your knowledge base. It just has to do with the fact that lawyers are trained in all the procedural issues and the legal issues, and we study case law because it's constantly changing. And because everybody else that you're dealing with in your lawsuit is either going to be a lawyer themselves, including the judges and their law clerks, But more importantly, the um, lawyer that's coming after you, uh, accusing you of something, uh, has a claim against you, or, you know, uh, you you might be the one initiating the lawsuit and you might have uh, a claim against it and they're going to be defending themselves. But basically, you know, if you go to this gunfight in court, a metaphorical gunfight, because I'm not talking about violence in the court. That's a bad thing. But you're going to find your adversaries are going to be armed with the knowledge and the skills that they need to vindicate their rights or to defend themselves. And you're going to be there, you know, with your little butter knife. And, um, you know, best you can do is maybe poke somebody in the eye or scratch them on the arm. But more than likely, you're going to be dead on arrival in effect. That is to say, your claim, your valid righteous claim or your valid righteous defense will likely see the promised land long before you do. So, again, uh, the purpose of Selwyn's Law here on KFAX, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money and also the lack thereof and your finances and the things that you need to consider to protect your family's financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being, as I understand these concepts in a non-threatening educational form. So with that said, we'll continue our discussion of entrepreneurship, or 
we're going to look at from the flip side, that is to say the bankruptcy side of entrepreneurship because it's always a balancing act, not that you're trying to get to um, get into bankruptcy. No, you want to make a profit, but as you know or you should know, our economy is cyclical. That is to say we come out of a trough, a depression, and the market takes off. There's entrepreneurial opportunities for people to make money, and then it reaches a peak, and then it goes on the on the downside. And when it goes on the downside, you need to be prepared for how you're going to salvage what you can from your business and move forward to the next cycle or liquidate that business and start all over again. And as I'm going to talk about today, what creditors need to contemplate as far as dealing with the uh, cyclical nature of businesses. Going up, business is growing. When a, when a cycle goes down, you might need to consider bankruptcy in order to reorganize your business or uh, to liquidate it and move on. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm utilizing um, a resource that I'm developing, a book that I'm writing. And while the book is geared towards lawyers, <laughs> I like to have a well-educated client base because that way, you know, I'm not dealing with people who are overly hysterical because they don't know what's going on, although people sometimes get that way even if they do know what's going on. But I find a, a client base that's knowledgeable about the parameters of our, our business relationship and the parameters of what is possible in inside and outside bankruptcy makes us both uh, more able to deal with the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that periodically prop up in any kind of legal endeavor. So um, I, I, I want my, my, my writing to be such that small business owners and families in financial distress, and it's usually because of a liquidity problem, uh, that is to say insufficient cash flow to meet the needs. And it's, these are sometimes bought on by intentional nefarious acts of others, and sometimes it's because of stupidity or imprudence on our side, including not staying on top of our employees who sometimes might tend to embezzle funds that we need to pay our bills, and then we find ourselves seeking out lawyers to help us salvage what we can. Now, when we were last together, I concluded uh, the overview of the major differences between the two kinds of bankruptcies that are geared towards small businesses. That is to say, a Chapter 13 business bankruptcy or an individual slash small business bankruptcy under Chapter 11 of the Bankruptcy Code. And I also gave a brief history of bankruptcy as applied around the world. And all of this was basically looking at things from the debtor's perspective. So today, as I informed you, I would, I want to take a look at things from the debtor's creditor's perspective and how a creditor's counsel in bankruptcy might tackle preserving her client's rights after a debtor seeks protection in the bankruptcy court. Now, Debtors' creditors are the individuals or other entities to whom the debtor owes money or some form of equity or as a result of the debtor defaulting on her debt obligation and not getting paid as agreed by the terms of the oral or written contract that was a predicate of the debt, debt obligation in the first place. And as such, these creditors simply want to get repaid. 
However, once the debtor files for bankruptcy, creditors must put a screeching halt on any and all collection activity, including in-person or telephonic or internet-based communications that may reasonably be perceived as collection activities. And this includes they have to cease any and all legal activity in state court by informing the state court that the debtor is in bankruptcy and there's a pending bankruptcy case. That being said, the creditors need to do some things right off the bat to protect their rights. First amongst them, in my opinion, is to seek out and find qualified legal counsel. So when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion of issues confronting creditors in bankruptcy. But first, we're going to take a short break. I'll see you on the other side. Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead. Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion of the issues confronting debtors' creditors' counsels <laughs> and debtors', debtors creditors and their counsel once the debtor seeks out the protection of the bankruptcy court. So, again, as I was saying before the break, Creditors need to do certain things right away as soon as they find out that their debtor has filed for bankruptcy. And unless they already have a relationship with counsel, the first thing they need to do, in my opinion, is to seek out competent legal counsel to at least discuss the implications of the debtor's bankruptcy case filing and determine what effect what the effective creditor should do next. Most importantly among them is the timely filing of one or more proofs of claims in the debtor's bankruptcy case. This because, say, the debtor files a Chapter 13, in the only means by which a creditor can participate in any distributions based on the debtor's plan repayment schedule, if the debtor is reorganizing, or obtain a portion of the sales proceeds in a refinance or a sale of any or all of the debtor's assets that has become an interest in the debtor's bankruptcy estate. So you have to file a claim. Now, filing a claim, while not complicated in any stretch of the imagination in and of itself, um, it does require substantiation, uh, valid substantiation, such as a copy of the contract wherein the debtor promised to pay, and a payment history that would tend to prove that the debtor is in default at the time of the, the filing of the bankruptcy case. So there are claims, and but there's also a, a, a public policy hierarchy or what I call a pecking order in the bankruptcy code that dictates the priority in which one or more creditors get repaid, if, if at all, which is a proxy for how much a creditor gets paid, if at all, in a bankruptcy case. In first position are the debtor's secured creditors, such as entities holding notes or deeds of trust or some other form of lien or a UCC filing or a statutory lien or a levy, such as a mortgage or deed or trust or a pink slip on the debtor's car or the unpaid portion of taxes owed to the IRS 
or the franchise tax board, where the taxing authority has entered a lien on the debtor's real and personal property in the county where the debtor resides or has some property. Or in the case of an executory contract, that's a contract where both sides still have some duties to perform. For example, a commercial lease where the landlord has a duty to provide a safe and clean environment for the uh, debtor to lease, and the debtor has an ongoing responsibility to pay rent. And uh, if it's backed up by some kind of security interest that's been filed, say, um, then that is a secured debt on a defaulted commercial lease. So unless there's some form of or something special about the secured debt that will allow the debtor to modify it or strip it off or avoid it, uh, some or all of its value, um, the applicable liens or security interests, these debts must be repaid in full even after the bankruptcy case is resolved because these liens or security interests survive or pass through the bankruptcy. So, for example... Um, the debtor falls behind on her commercial lease. Uh, it is secured with a security interest. The debtor wants to continue um, leasing the space because the debtor needs that space to conduct her business to produce you know, the income that's going to pay for her plan. So say the debtor catches up on her lease and she pays all of the bills that she's required to pay in a, her confirmed plan the lien is still in effect. The same with a mortgage on the debtor's home. Um, The debtor might be in bankruptcy because she got behind in her mortgage, and so she's using a bankruptcy to catch up with her mortgage. Well, the lien is still in effect after the debtor concludes paying off the arrears, so it's still a valid uh, document that rides through the bankruptcy. Another type of creditor can be a general unsecured creditor, such as a family friend or a credit card company or a company with whom the debtor borrowed money and the repayment obligation is manifest by either a oral or a written contract that was undertaken without the creation of filing a lien or some other kind of security interest. Depending on the type of bankruptcy case that the debtor files, coupled with the debtor's overall financial situation and prospects at the time of filing, including her ability to fund her reasonable living expenses out of her post-petition filing monthly income, some or all of her unsecured debts uh, by by the end of the case will end up being discharged. That is to say the debtor will not pay, have to pay those debts. The public policy rationale for putting these creditors, these unsecured creditors, at the hind end of the debtor's repayment food chain is that these creditors are presumed to have the wherewithal to make rational lending decisions, rational underwriting decisions, and notwithstanding the debtor being a bad risk, ultimately, these creditors chose to lend this money, their money, to the debtor on an unsecured basis with full knowledge of the risk of not being paid. Now, there's also a special class or special classes of unsecured creditors that, for public policy reasons, take priority over plain old vanilla general unsecured creditors I just described. These priority creditors include persons to whom the debtor 
owes a domestic support obligation, such as for alimony or child support, or in some instances to the entity, an entity of state government that's been charged with collecting the domestic support obligation on behalf of the debtor's former spouse or underage children and making sure that the money gets dispersed to them. The public policy reasons for this class of priority creditors, uh, to me, is obvious. If domestic support obligation debts are not paid out of the debtor's future incomes or other resources, then the burden of supporting the debtor's former spouse and children will fall to the rest of society. This is unfair, especially in cases where the person filing for bankruptcy has the financial wherewithal to pay his or her uh, uh, domestic support obligations. Another type of priority creditor is or could be a taxing authority, as I stated earlier, such as the California Franchise Tax Board or the Internal Revenue Service, to whom the debtor owes taxes for recent taxes at the time she files for bankruptcy. Again, just in the case of domestic support obligations, the public policy reasons for having the debtor pay her tax obligations before her general unsecured creditors are repaid is to not shift the debtor's tax obligations onto her fellow taxpayers. What's unique about taxing authority debt obligations is the fact that these entities are sometimes simultaneously a secured priority and general unsecured creditor at the same time for some of the same tax obligations, such as, for example, the IRS has obtained a statutory lien on a portion of of taxes owed these are sometimes older taxes that are going to fall off the other side of the earth. So the IRS will put a, uh, a statutory lien by filing uh, a lien in the county where, say, the real property is located. While the newer taxes must be paid as a priority out of the debtor's uh, repayment plan on the same taxes that have not been levied when the debtor files for bankruptcy. And then the difference could be a lump sum of general unsecured claims that are neither, uh, you know, a priority uh, because uh, they're neither priority because they're not new or, and there's no lien attached. So they're paid out of the same pool of funds that uh, general unsecured creditors are paid. Okay, so creditors sh- should also make a determination whether the creditor's claim is based on non-dischargeable debt, meaning that because of the nature of the debt involved, it cannot or may not be discharged at the conclusion of the debtor's case. These debts are referred to as bad boy or bad girl debts in that they are the result of some bad act by the debtor, such as a result of the debtor's willful or malicious conduct towards a creditor or creditors, or for money or some intangible thing of value that was procured by the debtor by fraud or some other terrible act against uh, his or her creditor. And for another kind of situation where the debt is non-dischargeable is where the debtor harmed uh, the creditor, such as in an automobile accident or flying an airplane under the influence of alcohol or drugs. That is really a bad girl act. So here again, Creditors need to consult with competent attorneys to find out the time frames for filing the lawsuits if they're going to claim that this is a non-dischargeable debt 
It's a lawsuit inside a bankruptcy known as an adversary proceeding and time frame for doing so and making the determination if you have to file the lawsuit at all is very limited, and that's why you need to consult with attorneys. Now, creditors' attorneys are just as zealous as I am when I represent my debtor clients. I also represent some creditors. Their job is to throw sand in the debtor's bankruptcy case with the goal of having the debtor's case dismissed or at the very least obtaining the, the best result they can for their client. So with that, I'm going to leave it there for now. But always in closing, I like to say here at Selwyn's Law and KFAX, we always need to stay on the right side of the law. So until next time, take care. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the law office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the bankruptcy code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the law office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go-to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance, or if you have questions, call 510-633-1276, 510-633-1276, or go to selwynwhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.